0: Point to you uh, a few scripture and then we'll kind of switch modes back to where we were last night. But look at uh, John eight. I've been meditating on this one for a while here. John eight, twenty-eight. And Jesus said, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and I do nothing of myself. Uh I want to just note to you, uh, bears repeating, that Jesus, uh, as the second Adam, displayed what God's original intent was for humanity. How do you know it was possible for Adam to walk on the water? Because Jesus walked on the water. So Jesus is fully God, fully man, but he makes this choice. And what's really interesting, he says he does nothing. That's really interesting to me because you know that Jesus has a free choice because he says uh, in John 10, I willingly give up my life. And when he's in the garden, he's praying and he goes, hey, if this thing can pass, <laughs> let's, let's work out. He goes, but if this is what, what needs to be done, I'll do it. And so he's got this free choice, but he's constantly saying, I do nothing of myself. And it gives us this insight into how Jesus thought. And Paul would teach us in Philippians, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. In his thinking, he would never ever consider doing anything outside what the Father was leading him to do. That's the mind of Christ. That's the foundation of the mind of Christ right there. And there's, uh, there's something I've learned about habits Habits are something that you repeatedly do that after a while, even though you have the choice to do them, you're not consciously thinking about it anymore. And when you develop these habits of obedience, you just will naturally do certain things. You'll naturally default to certain ways of thinking. Um, was it wasn't what intended to talk about. It. It's worth saying. But he says, I do nothing of myself. And then he says this. But as my father has taught me, that's... <laughs> Jesus learned things when he walked on the earth. I want to suggest if he's, he was learning things while he walked on the earth, we got a whole lot to learn. And I speak these things. So he spoke what he learned, and then uh, Matthew 18, the reason I'm saying that is because I believe that you guys, as a group here, you have a mandate to gather what we just did and however... God leads you, what that looks like. But to gather, because I don't find intercession in prayer, uh, it, it, a lot of things are just not that complicated. You come in here, you worship, you pray, and then you capture what God is saying. It's really interesting. You've got a whiteboard on here. We have about uh, at least 100 intercessors for our ministry. There's probably more, but that's a low estimate. And it's a really simple principle that we operate We try and capture what God is saying, and then we pray into that. Uh, We met with our intercessors in March, and we just got this whiteboard, and we just said, what is God saying about the ministry? And what you found was there weren't 100 people there, but maybe 30 people. They would all have very similar things maybe said in a different way. So we captured the words, and then we simply played into those words, and We don't focus much on the enemy. There is a time where you do address the enemy, but when you speak God's word, you destroy the works of the enemy. And so when we captured that, and then we took it to a little more specific place a little later because I think that was a Saturday and I was leaving for Europe on a Tuesday. Then we said, what is God saying about this upcoming trip? And then we captured what God was saying maybe saying it a little different ways, maybe somebody had it in a dream form, somebody heard it in their spirit, and then we took Matthew 18, and we just use this principle. Verse 19, again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done, doesn't say it might be done, it will be done by my Father who is in heaven. There's many times where, uh, the Lord has had different assignments for us as a ministry. I Remember one particular, probably the, the biggest conference we did, sometime in November. I was praying one morning and I was just saying, I, I knew I knew the amount of money we needed for the conference for everything to you know just turn out more. And I always ask God for more, not just what I need. Give us an overflow. And I remember one morning I picked up the phone after I finished praying, and maybe it was the afternoon, and I called my intercessor. I said, We got the money. She said, yeah, I felt the same thing too. Because you just know when there's a break in the spirit. Now, we didn't back up from our declarations, but I knew that we'd broken into something that morning because the Lord just gave me, it's done. It's been released. And someone told me, uh, I was listening to somebody the other day, apparently, they say there's angels of finance. And when they're released, they whisper into people's ears, you need to give this amount. You need to give that amount. So if God whispers something to you, today, hey, don't disobey the Lord. <laughs> but that's just one area. So I just felt, do a little lesson on that. And you can use these boards and you just find God is speaking. What's God saying at Freedom Point? What's God's? You can do it with your family. You can do it with a situation. I have uh, I have relatives in my family that uh, when I pray for them, I, I, I I'm. I just pray in the spirit a little bit. I said, God, what are you saying about this person's life? What's their destiny? And one thing the Lord gave, spoke to me very clearly. I've always done it, but I, I, to be honest, I didn't do it on as regular a basis as I wanted, but every morning now, pray for the president. Pray for the vice president. Pray for the governor of my state. And the Lord will always give me some insight for him. I was praying, some days I pray for Barron Trump, pray for his salvation. Sometimes I Pray for the president's sanctification. Just protection sometimes. I remember when President Obama became president, I had this sense the first few months that I had to really pray for his protection. I felt like someone was trying to assassinate him. So it's not, we don't have to make it overcomplicated. He wants to give us these words to pray, and we pray in the spirit, we pray for our understanding, and again, we're not, this is not like going to the casino when we're praying, hoping God hears us. We can actually get strategies and pray those strategies and see them come to pass. And here's another thing. Once you know the Lord has spoken to you, don't waste time asking the Lord about it. Ask Him for the strategy of how He's going to do it. Because sometimes the Lord told us and then everything goes in the opposite direction. Yeah, I said, God, did I miss you? And He goes, no, you didn't miss You he didn't. Keep going. Sometimes we... I see people, they, that's, that's where the enemy wants you to back off. I say it's very likely you've got a true prophetic word if everything goes in the opposite direction. Because <laughs> he's trying to define you not by, not by what you see, but by the word he's given you. So little little session on intercession there. And um, all right, well, let's pray. We'll get into part two of this. Does anything, anyone have anything to say? Any questions, comments? All right. Let's pray. Father, let's just lift our hands. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for what you want to speak. Thank you uh, for what I believe you've asked me to do this morning. Lord, I ask again for words from heaven that change earth. Words from heaven that change earth. We thank you for the angel Lord that's here. We thank you uh, for opening up the word to us. Let the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Jesus Christ come to this room. Let miracles happen. Unlock people's ears. Lord, without you, I can't do anything, but with you, I can do all things. So let all things be possible. Let people hear things and answers that they, uh, uh, things that they have been asking you about. Let them hear answers today. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Glorify your son. Let it be Hebrews 2 verse 9 that we would see Jesus a little lower than the angels and crown them to glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last night we began talking about, excuse me, foundations, and we, we said that a foundation is the basis or groundwork for anything, and uh, I, uh, I mentioned that I believe that as we walk that we will constantly revisit elementary things and get greater understanding of them, and I'll talk a little bit about how that process works, but we also saw that um, everyone is building, and we'll read our base scripture here in a minute. Everyone is building a certain way, and that spiritual maturity and spiritual fruitfulness is predictable based on how you're building. That there is no, uh, uh, there is no just going to the Holy Spirit casino and hoping your life turns out as, how God in, uh, intends you. Here's another really important principle. Everyone comes to earth with a purpose. No one is here without a purpose. So let's look at our. Uh, actually, look at two two different base scriptures. First uh, Peter. Two verse five. Actually, read verse four. Come to him as living stones, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifice accept- acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. And then uh, we won't read uh, the, the verse in Corinthians where Paul talks about it, but we'll, we'll, we'll jump on that, 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 uh, the verse where Jesus speaks it, of it on the Sermon on the Mount of building correctly. We'll just look at verse 24 through 29 this morning. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains descended and the, and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. Verse 26. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rains descended, and floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. So we noted, we saw that both the wise man and the foolish man were building. So everyone's building. The question is, how are we building, and are we building our lives in the appropriate manner? Because when we build correctly, we have the ability to produce what God has called us to produce in the earth on His behalf. And we we looked and we saw, we went back to Genesis last night and we looked how God originally intended us to build. And we said, the foundation of your life is Genesis 1, verse 1, where God is the source of all things. When time began, God created the heavens and the earth. And then we saw that God's word spoke the universe into existence, and then he created man and woman as his representative. We also saw as a foundation that God never intended to create a religion but to establish a kingdom upon the earth. That he, he creates heaven and earth according to Psalm 11. He sets up his throne in heaven and he gives man authority in the earth. And we saw that the connection point between God and man was man trusting God for everything they had need of. And that man had this gift. There is something actually more powerful In the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the earth and it's this, it's the choices that men and women make God can be in a room, God can have provision for you here's the will of God, the will of God is that everyone in Kimberly, Alabama would be saved, everyone's not saved it's not like God is withholding his power for them to get saved the will of God is for all to be healed The will of God is for all to be prosperous. The will of God is for everyone to have a sound mind. So that's the will of God. Not everyone's experiencing that because they have to choose to receive what God has made available through the door of surrender. We also noted that there are two realms by which humanity was created to be educated. One was the realm of the senses, taste, feel, touch, smell, which was absolutely necessary and needed, but it was limited in giving understanding for the world. It was limited because it could only tell part of the picture. Of course, when Adam saw Eve, he saw his beautiful, he saw the beautiful fruit, he saw everything that God had given him. He smelled, he could experience the world in that way, but it was limited. The second realm we saw was revelation knowledge, that it was only through revelation knowledge that Adam could discover how, what he was created to do, the power he was given, and the authority he was given, and, and the purpose for being on the earth. He was also, we also saw that revelation knowledge was always supposed to supersede sensory knowledge. That Adam is put in that garden, you can eat of everything, but don't eat from that tree. What's that? Revelation knowledge. Looks nice, don't touch it. And we saw when sensory knowledge overrode revelation knowledge that the DNA of man was corrupted and the DNA of man was corrupted and the earth shifted, but God, through Jesus of course, comes back and he restores that foundational peace between God and man, what's that foundational peace, we saw that it was faith, we saw that it was the God kind of faith, we saw that faith is not something that you earn or can work up. But it's something that you receive from God. We, look, we, we, we mentioned Hebrews 12. Where uh, Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. That's really good news. So the foundation is God is the source of all things. He wants to teach you how to live in his kingdom. He's not, he did not create did did not ever intend a religion. Jesus did not come to say, I've come to establish Christianity. He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what he taught. That was the preponderance of his message. That was the focus of his message. That was the focus of the message he gave the disciples, the kingdom of God. And so he came to bring that message. He came to restore that message. And the good news about that message is everything that God has ever asked us to do, he's given us the power to do. And with that gift of faith, we saw that it was, it was, uh, that you came into the door of the kingdom through, through surrender. And then now we are to live in this world through a constant choice of surrender because God actually wants to take care of every part of your life. Let's look at this, uh, Matthew 6. And we saw, and we'll emphasize this again this morning, the only deliverance from this world system is consistently making that the choice of your life and making surrender a settled issue to God. But this is where it also gets lots of fun with God. When you go, everything's on the table, God. I'll live where you want me to live. All my money is yours. My children are yours. My career is yours. Whatever you'd like to do with my life, I'm yours to do what you want to do. Get ready because that's when the adventure starts. Do you know, sometimes what we call radical faith is actually just expressing what God intended for us to do normally. gave up everything. What are you giving up? (laughs) Look at Matthew 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. No one. For he will hate one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. What will you eat or what will you drink, nor about your body or what will you put on? Is not life more than food and body more than clothing? I remember uh, probably eight, nine years ago, I was riding down the road. I was going to go minister at this youth camp the beach that weekend. And I remember I was barraged in my mind with all these different things going on, these different pressures, you know, you have. And I remember it just shifted in one moment because I just said, God, I trust you. And I was like, whew, just lifted me out of that whole thing that was trying to get a hold of me. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today and tomorrow, is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you, of little faith? So notice he points to faith, which we we emphasized last night, what the nature of faith, what the nature of biblical faith is. And then he says, verse 31, therefore, do not worry. Now, that's a command right there. That's not like, you know, if you can do it, do not worry. What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles seek. Notice that it's not what we're supposed to be seeking. For your, and then he tells us, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. So he's not saying they're un, not unimportant, but seek first the kingdom of God. Amplified says, when it says, seek first the kingdom of God, in, in, the, in, the, in the brackets it says, God's way of doing things. And seek his righteousness, and what did he say? All these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things sufficient for its day. And then he he re-emphasizes, obviously, a number of times, but I like this. I just mentioned it last night, but look at Matthew 13. Verse 33, really simple. Another parable he spoke to them, verse 33, excuse me. The kingdom of, uh, no, wrong one. Verse 44, 1334. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid for joy over it. He goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. So that foundation of the kingdom is surrender and making it the priority of your life. And we said that when you live like that, Jesus described it, that person as being poor in spirit the poor in spirit is not poor financially it's 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 this consciousness of knowing that you need god for everything and that that is often a challenge often for americans because uh we value uh independence we value self-sufficiency we value doing and there's there's some good things that produces but in the kingdom of god he wants you in a position of your heart, position completely dependent upon him to receive everything that you need of. It was one of the most liberating things I learned many years ago, that everything that God had for me in the earth, I could trust him to receive. I didn't have to manipulate people. I didn't have to get, twist their arm to do it, but I could actually trust him to do it. Now, he'll give you insight. on it. That doesn't mean inaction. doesn't mean not working hard. I I believe in diligence, and we'll talk about that in a minute. I believe in all that. But it means that there's a quiet rest that you go about in your life, that you're positioned trusting Him for everything. Then we said a fruit of living that way is that we make a priority with Him, fellowship with God. So that's another part of our foundation. Our fellowship with God. Are we building our life in fellowship with God? Now, I'll add some other things to it, but... Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll dig deeper in that subject here uh, in a moment. But here's some foundational things that I found. When people will build their life like this, they, 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 they prioritize the kingdom of God. They, they, they choose to live a life of uh, surrender. We know that we got to make that choice every day. And we know the good news is that nobody's perfected in those things. But here's some other foundational things that I, I've seen. People who choose to connect to a community of people. People who choose to connect to community people. There is no, the, the, the Bible describes, there's no place in scripture where you will see a disciple who is discipled by themselves. Discipleship is always in a community context. There's so many, many reasons for that, but discipleship is in a community context. The, 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 the other fruit I see, people who seek to walk in the authority that God gave them. Live a powerful life. Pray for the sick prophesy, minister everywhere they go, consciously looking for opportunities to minister, to be a blessing. Now, I'm going to add someone, this is another one that I've observed, it's this one, people who work, who are proactive and working on the deficiencies in their character, and in places they know they need upgrade. Really, really important. Mentioned that a little bit last night. We all are works in progress. The question is: Is are we making choices to work out the character flaws in our life? And one of the things I've learned with the Lord is He is incredibly practical, meaning He will locate your character flaws in the situation that you're in. So you know, you're praying this morning. I'm here on Saturday morning. Lord, I want everything that you have for me. I want to be like you. I want to be like you. So, he makes your boss hate you. (laughs) And then you go, this guy, he's treating me the wrong way. And God goes, yeah, I know. But I'm trying to expose some things in your heart. I'm trying to teach you how to react correctly to the situation that you're in. I I think I maybe have told this story before. But many years ago, I was in uh, graduate school and I had this position that was really valued in graduate school and I remember I'm this graduate assistant working in the athletic department and within about a week and a half of working the job I realized that the man who is my boss hates me. That is not an exaggeration, that is actually the truth when you know someone completely dislikes you or has an issue with you. You know what? I'm not going to say that. I finally figured out why he didn't like me about a year ago, not going to mention that. (laughs) Because that's a different subject, but uh, he did not like me. And I remember, I got home in the little farmhouse I was living in. It was like a Friday afternoon. I remember I got home, and I said, to Lord, "I said, Lord, you, you know when you, you think you're being spiritual, but you need a Holy Spirit spanking. You know, you think you think you're like you got this case, you really don't got a case. But I said, Lord, I don't need to take this. I got a college degree. I, you know, I am I don't need to take this. You know, you know he's treating me wrong." I remember I heard the Lord. It always came right back from here. It was so clear, right in my spirit. He said, that's right. You don't need to take this. But if you don't take if you don't stay in this job, I cannot do what I want to do in your heart. And I said, the devil is a liar. Seriously, that's what I thought. So I went to a pastor. See, counsel will help you and keep you. I went to a pastor on staff at my church, and I, I laid it in there of how bad it was. I said, I don't, you know, I don't think I need to be there. You know, and he looks at me and he goes, Abner, that's tough. But I think the Lord has something for you there. I said, the devil is a liar. Big church, so I went to the lead pastor this time. Go to the lead pastor. I, and I gave it to him, gave it to him how bad it was. This is bad. And he goes, you know, sometimes we have to walk through situations of injustice for the Lord to do things in our heart. And I said, the devil is a liar. So I called my dad. Surely he would not want his beloved son to be abused in the workplace. And I'm telling you, it really actually was abuse. Like, <laughs> if I had recorded some of the things happening, but I had a good lo- lawsuit, you know. I don't do that. So I tell my dad. And he says, didn't you commit to this job while you were in school? I said, yes. I said, but he's mistreating me. I said, you know, he goes, sometimes... We have to keep our commitments even when it's difficult. So I stayed in that job. And I always wondered, you know, know, I think I was 22 at the time. I always wondered why anyone would shoot up their workplace. You know, going postal, they used to call it postal. And then I realized, not my workplace, but one person. I might do it too. (laughs) <laughs> I never thought of myself as a violent person till I worked with this certain boss. And what I began to realize is situations will locate areas of your heart that need healing and deliverance because they're in there somewhere and when they're coming out, it's an opportunity to release them to the Lord. Even today. When I'm confronted with something and I know I don't react correctly. I go, ooh, where'd that come from? You need to deal with that. And so I finished working there. Finished, he motivated me to finish my degree early. So said, oh, you're finishing early. I said, yes. The Lord just told me I had to finish my degree. And uh, I'll tell you this. That was December. Six months later, I was offered my first ministry position. And I knew, you knew, you I knew it was the Lord. it was The Lord. So I start this first ministry job and I realized that this boss, the first boss I ever had in ministry was about a million times harder than to work for this other boss I had. And I don't think if I had stayed the year and a half, I don't think I would have ever lasted a month in that ministry. But I worked for that ministry for two years and I learned some things I needed to learn that have helped me today. So don't abort things simply because they're difficult. Because he's incredibly practical. And it's likely that the situation that you're in right now, he's, even though it's whatever, whatever's going on, often it's locating things in his heart that he wants to work deeply in your heart in this season. But I find a lot of believers, they want to pray themselves out of the situation that God put, themsel- put them in to help them build the inside of them. So character flaws. Deal with character flaws. So we want to learn how to build our our life on this foundation. Look at uh, Matthew 22. That was a little pause there. Look at verse 36. Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And I believe God gives us some insight there where he teaches us that if if we, love, if, we are in, if we are loving God correctly, we will love our neighbor correctly. Part of the problem with us relating to the world sometimes as believers is this is not the foundation, so we cannot love the world correctly. The two are really connected. So you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And I can tell you personally, for 20 years I've been trying to build my life on that specific scripture. The Lord challenged me many years ago that uh, one of my goals in life is to be a theologian of the beauty of the Lord. And every year, I have really one goal every year. I have some other goals, but this is the foundational goal. How can I grow in my fellowship with God? How can I grow in my fellowship with God? Because I find if I get that foundational piece correctly, everything else Comes into alignment correctly, and you know every year I always ask him for some insight. I said, "Lord, how can I go in fellowship with you?" A few years ago, he gave me this really simple stuff. He told me, he said, "Well, before you go, because usually when I get up in the morning, I like go work out because I'm tired. It wakes me up." He says, "Before you go work out, at least get into the Word a few minutes. You can talk to me later, but I want you to get into the Word." So okay. And that's when I began doing that. It changed. I found it changed the, day, the way my day went. This year before the year started. I said, I said Lord, how am I going to grow in fellowship with you this year? And he said, I want you to worship more. And I thought I worshiped a lot. I spent most of my time in worship. He said, just worship more. So sometimes in the middle of the day, I'll be working away. And if I don't have a meeting, he said, let's go for a ride. And I'll just get in the car for an hour. Just worship the Lord. And I have an agreement with the Lord. I'm a person of a million questions. But years ago, he told me, because I would ask him, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? You know, you told us we're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to do that. And he said, if you'll keep a life of fellowship with me, if you'll just position your heart in a fellowship with me, everything you need to know, when you need to know it, I'll let you know. And I heard this line. I heard this line years ago that I will remember for eternity. Very simple. Gloria Copeland. Years ago, the Lord spoke to her. He said, inconsistency lies the power. Inconsistency lies the power. There's a tremendous power every day coming before the Lord. Coming before the Lord. Here's another key I've learned with fellowship with the Lord. It's that your approach to God defines what you can receive from him. So one of the things I've tried to be really intentional about over the last uh, probably three to four years is when I come in, when I I intentionally focus on the Lord, is I take time to receive what he's given me. A lot of people, when they're talking to God, it's like they're trying to get him to show up. No, he's already going to show up. Take time to receive who he's made you. Genesis 1.31. On the seventh day... God rested, not because he was tired, but because first of all he was done. But you imagine he creates Adam on the sixth day. He creates him on the sixth day, and he goes, "Oh, Adam, you're my steward of the earth. You're my you're you're in charge of things down here. Now I got everything you need down here, but you're in charge." And he and then the next day goes, "Well, what do I do, God? First day on the job, take the day off." I'm convinced. He was trying to get over to Adam the point. None of this is based on anything that you did. It's a gift that you receive. It says in Genesis 2, he put man to rest in the garden. He placed them in that garden. And a biggest part of our connection point with God is the ability to receive the kindness and the love and the position he's given us. It's a big part of it. When, when it talks about Jesus being baptized and, and he comes out of the water and the father says to him, you are my beloved son. It actually, the original language is, it's this screaming, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And he actually would mention that. He would go, the father himself loves me. And he's given everything into my hand. I say that over myself. The father loves me. Me. You know, almost every morning what I hear, when, I'm, when I'm, you know, you're kind of like in that space where you're just sort of waking up, I hear it all the time in hotels, Ab, I'm really pleased with you. It's going to be a great day today. Sometimes I just look in the mirror and I say, God, you did pretty good with me. It's not arrogance to receive who God has made you to be, and if you have trouble receiving Find out what's going on on the inside that causes you to have an inability to receive. So you start from that place, and then you're, you're intentional. James 4, verse 8, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. I remember uh, the first day, years ago, I'm in this little dorm room in North Carolina. I said, God, I'm going to know you. I'm going to spend the rest of my life knowing you. First day, really trying to engage the Lord. I'm 18 years old, and we're gonna, I'm going to know you. I'm going to know you. Not leaving here until I know you. So, you know, I prayed about everything I knew to pray about. I thought at least 20 minutes had gone by. And I remember, this is so boring. That's what I actually thought. How do people talk to you every day? What I didn't know then, though, because we live so dysfunctionally, we have to learn, by the grace of God, to begin to retrain ourselves to engage the Lord quiet ourselves, and that's a little challenging in our culture because we have a very strange culture. We go to restaurants, we order through a speaker, and we get the food in five minutes. We have banks where we don't even have to leave our cars to make deposits. Everything is fast in our culture. In God, it's fast, slow, stop, receive. And you know, uh, here's another part that will really help your life, a fellowship with the Lord. Get around people who are walking in the things of the Lord. My life was changed. First time I went to the Brownsville Revival. The reason I went that week, there's there's, summer of 1997. And uh, they had conferences every week at the Bible school. And I was looking at the conferences and I saw Suzette Hattie is preaching that week. You might not know who she is. But I knew who she was. I knew she used to be Reinhard Bunke's lead intercessor. So I knew that lady prayed a long time. And I wanted to learn how to engage the Lord for hours on end. So I said, I'm going to this meeting. And she said, one thing that changed my life. Nobody was teaching me about this. She said, in her South African accent, she said, the majority of my time spent with the Lord is spent in worship. I remember I was like on the right side of the auditorium. I I almost like hit the person next to me. What did she just say? You can worship and pray at the same time? I didn't know. I already loved worship then. So I already had some, but I bought every live Integrity Worship album back then. And I would put it on, and that's how I really learned how to engage the Lord. Even today, most of my time before the Lord is just spent worship. If I have 15 minutes, I'm just spend it just worshiping the Lord. So, fine. Listen, Jesus, the model of the Spirit led life, it's good. It's good. It's good to talk to God in the shower, it's good to go, all that stuff. But Jesus was led by the Spirit to intentional times of solitary prayer. He prayed in the morning, he prayed at night sometimes. But he was led by the Spirit to be very intentional and to be very specific in his prayer time. Yes, you want to talk to him all day, but you you have to have a time where you and him are engaging. Sometimes people are morning people, sometimes people are afternoon people. Whatever it is, find a time to talk to the Lord. It's amazing to me. Muslims... India, it's such a, to me, it's a demonic, it's so demonic sound. It's really nasty. They talk to God, or they try and talk to a God who doesn't talk to them. But they, I remember uh, last year being in London, this Uber driver driving me off, and he's going on and on, I wanted, anyway. But, and it was about one o'clock or something. He said, after I drop you off, I will go pray. I will find a mosque to pray. He's got an app that showed him where where the mosque, the nearest mosque was. Dropping everything to pray. And they talk to a God who does not talk to them. We have a God who wants to talk to us. How can we engage the Lord? Worship. Now I got most of that music right here. Worship. Tongues. I always say let the tongues roll however they come out. It's really important that you do that. Sometimes it's. Sometimes. Kung Fu tongues. It is. I was at a conference and one of the guys said, You know, the tongues that you have are perfect Hebrew. So oh, real nice in your Hebrew. And I've been in other countries and I'm convinced that it, I have Swahili tongues sometimes, I have different tongues. To let the tongues roll. There's, there's a story from years ago uh, in a meeting. Robert Slairden was telling his story about I saw heaven. He's telling the story and th- he said in the middle of his story this lady just goes into this tongue. And her son goes out in the spirit and she's wondering what is going on? The kid gets up, repents. He, was, he, was, he had been Uh, backslidden away from the Lord addicted and just when those tongues hit the Lord hits him gets delivered rededicates his life and is in ministry today you have no idea what you're saying but we're praying the perfect will of God I'm not afraid of tongues not ashamed of tongues so many people are today we're sophisticated now let the tongues roll in public, not in the back room. Tongues, worship. But then there's other times. I just sit. Yesterday before the meeting, I just sat there. I'm just receiving today. And then hearing. They said last night, well, now we'll develop this a little bit. The voice of God comes as a result of our fellowship with God. I've never met anyone who intentionally engaged the Lord over and over again that says, I don't know the voice of the Lord. I have met people who are trying to discover the voice of the Lord outside of the context of consistent fellowship. First thing we need to do too is we, can, we should never say, we don't know the voice of the Lord if we're believers. I say it everywhere. Lord, thank you. You're the spirit of truth. Thank you that you guide me into all truth. But then what does he teach us? Matthew 4. Let's look at there. Matthew 4 verse 4. Everybody still with me here? But it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So the voice of God comes as a consequence of being in intentional fellowship with God. And I have known this. This is absolute truth. When you are sincerely surrendered to God when you've sincerely positioned your heart to surrender to the voice of God, I'm telling you, you will hear the voice of God. I remember years ago when I started on this journey, Lord, I go, God, I'll do anything you told me to do. Oh, I didn't know what I was saying, but it's been wonderful. But I remember I'm sitting in the back of my friend. My friend's having a church anniversary. I think it was his first year anniversary years ago. He's got this singer singing, you know, and, uh, I heard it. It was like this, out there. It was that loud. Because I didn't know I wasn't used to hearing the voice of God like that. Out there. And I remember thinking, I think this is the Lord speaking. to Out there, this is what I want you to do. And I'm thinking, I can't. That's, that's, that's a lot. And so I did what you do when you're done. Lord, I think this is you, but I need confirmation. Don't, that's okay, that's okay, it's okay. Now, he wants you to grow out of needing eight confirmations. I've had the Lord tell me in the last year or two, he goes, I'm not giving you any more confirmation, I've told you what to do. Why? Because he holds me responsible for now knowing his voice. But when you're, when, you're, when you're walking, especially if it's a new area, maybe you're used to doing things on your own. <laughs> He'll work with, and he gave me, and okay, this is the Lord. I'm going to do this. I'm going to obey the Lord in this. He do it. Now, remember at the beginning of the year, he spoke to me something really similar. I just, I noticed it. This is all he said to me. I was driving somewhere to minister one morning. Saturday morning. It's like a few hour drive. What did you just say? You heard what Please do this one. Now it's not as loud. But when we're learning his voice, it's like a child learning to walk. I was in Switzerland. Uh, teaching at a school in uh, March. And the year before, he was an infant. Now, Jason is one years old. And his parents are taking this course that I'm in. And he's starting to walk. And he says, Abner, look, our son's learning to walk. And he was holding on to take a step in between sessions. God's not there to slap you around just because he's just excited that you position your heart to begin to walk as He wants to walk, but that preceding word—time my shoes—is really, 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 really important because it's only through the preceding word of God that God can build your spiritual foundation. That's why we spent so long establishing certain foundational things because this is what He tells us. Well, actually. Uh, how do we want to do this? Let's look uh, at Luke, the fourth chapter. Pivotal part of our discipleship here. Verse 16. So when he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read, and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written... The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, excuse me, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Recovery of sight to the blind and set at liberty those who are oppressed. I want to connect two concepts. Part of the gospel of the kingdom and part of walking with the Lord is, first of all, that he sets you free from this world system. He sets you completely free from any entanglements of this world system. When you were in this world system, when you were not regenerated, you were bound usually to your five senses. You're bound to the system of this world. You're bound to what you can see, feel, or think. But when you come into the kingdom, he unlocks your ability. He sets you free from that, but he also puts put something else in there to open the eyes of the blind. Part of what he wants to do is to open your eyes to see as he intends you to see. That's why revelation is so important. That's why he teaches us without revelation, the people of God perish. Because if you can't see or know where you're going, you will not get there. And how does he unlock our blind eyes? He does it through the preceding word of God and through revelation knowledge. That's how he builds your spiritual house. This is what he tells us in Matthew 16. Now we'll go there. Verse 13. When he came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am? So he said, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Verse 15, but who do you say I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter answered, you are Christ, the son of the living God. Verse 17, and Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Notice notice the phrase that he uses there. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven heaven. So what's he telling them? What you just said cannot be discerned through the realm of the five senses. What you just spoke is revelation knowledge. And then he gives the key of how this whole thing works in the earth and how God educates his people in the earth. There's a reason I emphasized that whole part about knowledge last night. He says this, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. Notice he's saying, on this revelation that you've just given me, not only is he saying, it's two, to me, it's two, 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 two waves right there. He says, on this revelation that I am Christ, the son of the living God, I will build my church. That's how I build my church. But he's also saying, on revelation knowledge, I will build my church. Without a revelation people perish so how does he do that on revelation knowledge i build my church he 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 gives to us truth in degrees how does that work over 20 years ago fall of 1996 have this life-changing i'll just give you one example from my life life life-changing moment with the lord whole, literally, the whole trajectory of my life changed. Never desired to ministry, thought preachers were weird, all that stuff. Surrender your life to the Lord. I see myself going around the world, preaching the gospel, I see myself as called, I never doubted my call from that minute forward, and here I am, fall 1996, what does he do? He gives me revealed knowledge about my life. That revealed knowledge is now an invitation into the heart of God. You start here. What's really interesting, though, is the Lord does not tell me much more about my ministry until many years later. I would ask him, what about this? Now, there's little things he gave me along the way. I'm there in 96, and a course, you think natural idea. I said, like, okay, God. You know, I was on a partial wrestling scholarship. God, I'm going to do this. You know, I'll leave school now. You know, I was all in. I was all in. I'll go to Africa, you know. No, that's not what I have for you. You're going to stay in school. So I always say, listen to the Holy Spirit. So as you say, that's one step forward. You're going to stay in school. You're going to get a master's degree because you don't know, but one day you're going to go to other nations and you're not going to be able to get in unless you have an advanced degree into certain nations I'm sending to you. So that's another part of the puzzle right there. Listen to the Lord. I say, no, I'm going to ministry school. And then he said, that's not the path I have for you. I have a school of the Holy Spirit for you. And I was very excited until I got into the school of the Holy Spirit. So what's he doing? He's in, in that area, he is building my spiritual house. And then what was another thing? I thought, what about the ministry? What about the ministry? Just be my friend. No, 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 what about the ministry? Just be my friend. And if you stay that path, First job I ever got in ministry, they came to me. I never had a resume. I didn't didn't try and solicit it. Hey, would you like to come work? I think you're supposed to come work for us. Builds that spiritual house. Builds that spiritual house. And that house cannot be built unless there's constant revelation, knowledge, giving you understanding and wisdom to walk out the purpose of God. Here's where I see many people make wrong turns. They got the right revelation, but then they begin to make certain decisions based on the natural senses or what's around them. Here's another thing. When you're walking certain things out, sometimes you begin to have these certain, you know, I thought there were certain things along that path. I thought... No, that's, that's, that's really good for me. And God would shut the door or shut the door with this relationship, shut the door. And then many years later, I realized God was protecting me for certain things, and he allowed me to walk certain things out so I could develop certain other areas of my life that have become some of the most powerful areas of my life. Isaiah 28, precept upon precept, truth upon truth key part of that is keeping a high honor for the word of god the reason you have to keep a high honor for the word of god is you can you can be totally hitting it out of the park in one area of your life and then in another area you're thinking exactly like a demon it's quiet when you say that but here let's finish the story I also say to you, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth you will, you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded the disciples that they should tell no one he was Jesus the Christ. From that time, I think there's a reason Matthew puts this one in. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes to be killed, to be raised for the third day. Then Peter... (laughs) I haven't done it like Peter, but I've told the Lord. I said, no, this is not right. No, this is right. Peter took him aside and began to... He's rebuking Jesus. This is funny stuff. Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, for you're an offense to me, for you're not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. One place... In his discipleship journey, Peter's like, you nailed that out of the park. In fact, I'm going to build my church through how you just understood that. Over here, Jesus, I'm going to suffer many things. And Peter goes, Jesus, Jesus, come here. So this is, this is also what revelation knowledge does. Peter loves Jesus. with this is, re, this is really important. I see this all the time. He loves Jesus with all his heart. His heart is sincere in following after God. He's got some character flaws, but so do all of us. He loves him. He nails it out of the park. Like, he gets an A plus in that lesson in Jesus. And then over here, Jesus goes, hey, I'm going to suffer many things. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be given up. What's happening here? His mind, the idea he had about Jesus and what Jesus is saying in that moment, don't add up. So the revelation that Jesus is giving him is coming against the paradigm that Jesus... That, excuse me, that Peter has in his mind. So he's going, no, this is not the way it's supposed to be. We, You're supposed to, like, you're going to be president, and then I'm going to be on the cabinet, and I'm going to get, I'm going to get back at those guys who abused me when I was a fisherman. He introduced the revelation that Jesus was giving him, introduced Peter to a new paradigm of what the kingdom of God would be. And his mind... And his soul bucked up against it. And thank God that Jesus was kind enough to go, what you're thinking here is not right. In fact, he's a little more direct than that. Mm -hmm. He tells him, your thinking is actually the influence of demonic thinking on your mind. Here's what happens, though. A lot of times, people hear things, and when we say revelation knowledge, It never goes beyond the word of God, but probably gives us new understanding of things in there. He tells them this. A lot of people will hear things that go, no, that's not right. And so they reject it and continue to live at a deficit in that area in their life. That's why we always have to have a posture of humility when walking with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because he is constantly trying to expand us in every area of truth. He said he would guide us into all truth. In fact, look at this. One of the characteristics of people in this world is that they are blind to discern who God is. I'm very, very careful when I'm having conversations with unbelievers of how I say things, certain things, because I realize there are certain spiritual concepts they have no ability to understand. Look at John 14. Is John 14. I think that's right. Make sure I'm telling you the right. Verse 15, we'll start off in that little place. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, but it neither sees him nor knows him. They say they can't see correctly because they don't have the spirit of truth in him. So what does it also tell us? When we're walking with the spirit of truth, it should cause us to see the world a different way. Give you another example of something i 'm still all these areas i 'm still developing in so I humility years ago, start out over here the ministry now i 'll tell you a value system that my parents put in me many years ago for giving I remember uh, you know when you're a little kid, I used to love uh, Birthday cards with the numbers on it. You're three, you get the number three. I'm so excited. You just get a card. This is my birthday. I think I'm I'm no more than four years old at the time. And you get a little money, you know, for your birthday. My mom would go, You got $40 for your birthday. I said, Oh, $40. You know, you're a little kid. That's a lot of money. And she would say, Now, 10% of that belongs to the Lord. Now, you should give more because there's missionaries that are preaching the gospel and they need your help, and they can't do it without our help. But you can choose what you want to do with that. But that 10%, you don't touch. So I had that foundation in my life. I start out over here. And I start the ministry. You have a word from the Lord. You have no money. little money starts coming in. You're getting more love than offering when you start out. And the Lord speaks to me. So I'm telling you, that posture will open up you to hear what God wants to tell you. Sir. I want you to, every time some money comes in, this is what you're going to do. You're going you're to give temp. I said, God, that's not a lot of money. He goes, one day it will be lots of money if you'll obey me. But Lord, I don't have it. Are you going to do what I asked you to do? Yes, Lord. So we start on this journey. Next step. I'm praying one day. He says, your grandfather, my grandfather's preacher, was an amazing minister of the gospel. But he never broke the spirit of poverty off his ministry. I'm going to teach you how to break the spirit of poverty through radical generosity. Will you do that for me? Yes, Lord, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. Here we go, give, give, give. And he grows me. And he told me, I'm going to challenge you to have giving goals. remember one time years ago the Lord there was a man he just passed away I always remember him he's an eternity he might be listening to us today big church in New Jersey I used to go because I used to love his preaching I snuck in one time I was ministering in the area stuck in on a Sunday morning here and preach he has a conference called IPMC International missions conference and he what he did was he used to go quite a lot to the nations but he, God gave him a different strategy. You bring all these ministers from other nations, pay their flights, put them in hotels, pray, uh, feed them real good, and it cost, I think, something like, I don't know, at least a million dollars every year to fly all these people in, pay, and then he had this conference. And he wouldn't take it from the general budget. He would stand up on Sunday and he goes, okay, this is how much money we need. And I want you to all ask the Lord what the pledge you need to make is. And I'm in the back of the room. And the Lord says, I want you to give this amount. And I'm thinking, Lord, I don't even make that much in a month. I don't even think two months or something. And I'm having this conversation with the Lord. Pastor Damola stops. That's what his name was. And he, he's preaching. Some of you don't need to pray anymore. You just need to know. If you take care of God's business, he'll take care of your business. I knew that was the word of the Lord from probably 3,000 people there that morning. I'll obey you. So for, I think, five months, every week, I'd write that check and send it to the church as part of my pledge. The Lord was faithful. When I finished that pledge, it unlocked something over my finances that we've never gone back before. Because Every week, the money was there. So He, what's he teaching me? Another area that he's teaching me in. Now, We'll close with this. Did you get something out of this today? There's a real danger. And and don't, don't, you know, don't get... I found that when you position your heart to go after the things of God, you're desiring it. If you miss a turn, there's no shame, no blame, no anything like that. But there's a real danger in not allowing your spiritual house... Keep growing and growing and growing and growing and growing and growing revelation because you'll begin, first of all, you will not be able to bear the fruit that God intends for you, but you will, you will run the risk of becoming irrelevant in certain areas of your life that God wants to teach you in. We'll close with this. Look at Mark, the second chapter. This is really interesting stuff. Verse 18, the disciples of John and of the Pharisees were fasting. And they came and said to him, why do disciples of John and Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said, can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and they will fast in those days. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment or else the new piece pulls away from the old, and the tear is made worse and worse. No one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine bursts to wineskins, and the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. So that's really interesting. You've got two different groups of people according to verse 18. The disciples of John and the disciples of Pharisees. The disciples of John are fascinating to me because it's teaching us that these are not guys who didn't have discernment. It's not, it's, these are not people who have been blind to discerning the voice of God or what God was doing in the earth, how they disciples of John. John came on the earth, and he is unusual, and what is he preaching? He's not preaching in a synagogue. He's preaching in a desert. Most people go, this guy had lost his mind. But these guys go, that guy has the heart of God. So they're forerunners during their time. And this is an interesting statement on humanity inside the church. It's often, unfortunately, that's why I haven't arrived, but I try and be really careful. I don't criticize something I don't understand. You know, it's a lot easier to criticize something that you have very little knowledge of. I, like I, I, I saw one person in particular, very well known, and I hear they're going into, they went into this whole diatribe about a particular ministry in the church. I'm going... They have no clue what they're talking about. So God just let them spew their foolishness. But so. (laughs) Often what happens. We've seen this in the last 120 years. People who are the pioneers in one thing that God is doing. Are the criticizers of the next thing that God is doing. Because we like to believe that the way God is moving through us is the only way. Early Pentecostals, many of them criticized when God began to move among mainline Christians. And one of the criticisms they have, especially Dennis Bennett, if you know anything about that charismatic movement, Episcopalian priest who got touched, baptized with the Holy Spirit, they said, how can they be filled with the Spirit? They drink alcohol. It can't be can't be. One of the major Pentecostal denominations today, which I love, I preach in some of their churches, they have a whole position paper against apostles today. Apostles don't exist, and they're a non-for-profit organization. Pentecostal, love God, God uses their movement, but they have a position against something that God is for. Some of the criticizers, when uh, the teachers began to come into the earth, the Word of Faith movement, some of the biggest critics, even today, people tell me, I'm friends with, they go, those guys you like, they're, they're from the devil, brother, they're charlatans. I said, you've never listened to their message if you say that. But then some of the faith teachers, they were the biggest critics of the prophetic movement. At one time, a major word of faith ministry in the United States carried uh, uh, Bishop Hammond's book. They threw it out one day and said, this is not of God, and as a whole, their movement missed the strength of what the prophetic movement would bring. I don't know why there's just a human tendency to do that. So you got John's disciples who are sincere people. They, they, they recognize this is God. This is this, this strange prophets from God. He's speaking for God. And then the Pharisees. And they're fasting. How many know fasting is a good idea? So you can be engaged. This is also really a, a lesson to us. You can be engaged in religious activity but God's heart not be in it for that moment they're fasting nothing wrong with fasting Jesus is not even teaching against fasting because later in scripture he's going to say when you fast it's like we're fasting aren't your disciples fasting and Jesus gives that famous analogy can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them back then when they had a wedding it was a seven day celebration it was it would it would just no one would ever fast that. It's a celebration. We don't, we don't fast during a celebration. And then he gives that famous line. He goes, No one puts new wine into old wineskins. What well, was the wineskin? We know the wineskin. They took wineskins and they would pour uh, wine in there. If you're assembly of a god, it was grape juice and they poured it in there. <laughs> By the way, I don't drink, so i just, just having a little fun with people. But as far as that I can stand, it, it did have some alcohol in it. So anyway, people try and dismiss that one, but it was. I don't, I don't know why. Anyway, so they would put it and the, the wineskin would hold it, but when it was there a while, it would stretch so you wouldn't put new wine in it or else the whole thing's broken. So he says, no one puts new paradigms, new revelation into an old wineskin or else the old wineskin bursts. But then he says you put new wine into a new wineskin. But notice he doesn't say that the old wine is obsolete. So what do you need in new wine skin? a new wineskin? A new wineskin contains the old and the new to receive everything that God has for it. What's the wineskin? The wineskin is your mind being pliable enough and humble enough to keep receiving impressions from the Lord. Some of the disciples of John got it. And they, okay, this is Jesus, okay, they got it. But the tragedy here is the majority of Jews, even today, it just was in Israel in May, the majority of Jews rejected Jesus as the Messiah. So what has happened? Because truth and the will of God was always meant to be progressive understanding. Well, Again, I only understood very little. Even, even in the last year, I've learned more about what God has called me to do. If you would ask me in 1996, I thought it would have been pretty cool to be Benny Hinn. I I don't like a white jacket, but touch them, Holy Spirit. You know, I'm not wired that way. That's not how God created me. I think differently. I meditate on different things, you know. I got the healing thing, but not like him. I've learned. I have a prophetic gift. I'm called to office of problem. I'm a teacher. I'm a builder. I'm called to work with leadership teams. I'm called to have intimate relationship with people. I'm called to do so it's fine got to walk that thing out got to be truth upon truth precept upon precept but the jews the majority of them reject jesus the messiah and so as a whole now there is no form of judaism that exists in the earth that is anything close to anything into the new testament it's completely aberrant what does that mean it means that it's not relevant to anything in the earth Because the truth was always to progress and because it didn't progress now, it's become completely demonic and aberrant unless it's Messianic, obviously with Jesus as the Messiah because Jesus was the answer. So what's the lesson to us? If we don't and aren't on a continuum of growing in truth, you will run the risk of becoming aberrant in a certain area that God wants you to grow. There's a reason myself, who was greatly impacted by what God was doing in Toronto through Randy Clark and Global Awakening, but if you look at the tapes or the, um, the, yeah, it was just VHS tapes. I don't know if there's DVDs now. First of all, they look a lot different than they did then. (laughs) Randy's got a mullet. You know what they were singing back then? They were singing the the thing that God was emphasizing with those vineyard songs. They're not singing vineyard songs anymore in Toronto. They're singing Bethel songs. It doesn't make what God did in 94 obsolete, but there are certain people that I meet and I go, oh my gosh, they're still living 15 years ago. Doesn't mean that God can't use them. Doesn't mean that they don't have some fruitfulness because they're still walking with God. It just means what God is emphasizing, they're missing that thing. And here's another thing. When you're moving in the continuum of what God is doing, never fall in love with a particular expression of what God is doing. We all like we like it this way. Well, God didn't ask you. It's what God wants to do. You receive this.